Strong Electric Power recognizes local businesses, organizations, and individuals that partner with them to preserve the environment and promote sustainability. These are forward-thinking partners who are creative and effective in their approaches to promoting greater sustainability in the Tucson community. We are spotlighting those community partners in this special podcast series, and today we welcome Fred Stula, Executive Director, Friends of Saguaro National Park. Fred, it's wonderful to have you here, and I want to make good use of your time because I am a lover of Saguaro National Park and want to help spread the word. So are you ready to jump? I am ready, Gina. Thanks. Okay. And I, you know, every once in a while, I, you know, I do read the show notes that Kelly prepares for me. And once in a while, I want to read what was written because I think it's worth it and sets a great tone. So here's what you wrote or sent to us. Uh Uh-oh. National parks would not exist if it wasn't for the advocacy, volunteerism, and philanthropic support of dedicated individuals. I am passionate about Saguaro National Park and moved from Connecticut with my wife and two dogs to Tucson to lead Friends of Saguaro National Park and further our mission to help preserve, protect, and enhance the fragile environment and unique cultural heritage of the Sonoran Desert at Saguaro National Park. So I, th- I just want to say, I thought that was beautifully written, certainly shows where your heart is and what your intention is. And... Um, for people that might not know, can you just expand a little bit on the magic and the majesty of Saguaro National Park? Sure. So, so Saguaro National Park is actually the, the, the first national park that was created to protect a plant species. And it was created back in 1933 um, as, as the monument. And then it was elevated in 1996 to, to be a national park. And it encompasses almost 92,000 acres um, of pristine, um, unimpeded uh, land in, in the Sonoran Desert. Um, it's got about 200 miles of, of recreational trails. And the, the visitation at the park has gone up uh, significantly. You know, the, the park has over a million visitors that, that come, here to, come here to Tucson every year. Um, so it's a, it's a very exciting and beautiful and, and magical place. Um, and, and, and it's well-deserved. Well I mean, that's why it's a, it's a big stop for people in Southern Arizona to come in and see it and experience it. Um, and just to stand, stand next to some of these um, iconic saguaros, which is, you know, the, 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 the iconic symbol of, of the American Southwest. You just can't even describe it. It's one of those places that I think, even if you've lived here for 40 years like I have, we still go visit the park at least four to five times a year in different seasons, which now there seems to be only one season, summer, but I know that fall is coming. <laughs> but it was a beautiful time to go this year because of all the rain and the drought, which produced some you know, variations in the blossoms and all that stuff. It's just a magical place. And whenever we have company from out of state, it's probably the first place we go. So just as we explained in the intro, You can't, there is a need for all of those things. That's why I wanted to read what you wrote. There's a need for advocacy. There's a need for volunteerism and philanthropic support. So let's let's highlight board membership. How important is your board and what has TEP's contribution been to that board over time? Yeah. So so look, I mean, our when when we were founded in in 1997. um, TEP was was part of the board at that point. Um, We've we've had great 
um, great leadership from TEP. It started off with with Eric Bakken, and then uh, Shannon Breslin took over. uh, And then it's been um, Kai Pan for the last couple of years. So it's been just a really fantastic. And and I think it's it's easy to think about a board, you know, you're you're part of an organization, you support and kind of rubber stamp everything that we're working on. But but our relationship with TEP, it's very much a collaborative partnership. And when we're deciding what to do and what's important, you know, TEP is there every step of the way. Um, and they're forward thinking and helping to identify things that are that are positive to help the to help the environment. I mean, we have lots of lots of lots of donors that help. Um, but TEP goes a lot farther than that. I mean, TEP comes out you know, to our dinner every year with about 20 guests. Um, just recently, we were out doing the saguaro census with, you know, 20, it's like almost 30 members from TEP were out measuring saguaros and, and collecting important scientific data. So it's very much a, a collaborative partnership where um, we're both very interested in making sure that, that the park continues um, and it has the support that it needs to provide a real first-class visitor experience um, and, and to protect, you know, the, the very sensitive Sonoran Desert um, ecology that, that's at, at Saguaro National Park. So, so TEP has been just such a, such a great partner along the way, and they're helpful. Um, they provide really good insight, and, and they're just, their heart is in the right place about caring about what we're trying to do. Right. And it's just, it's a, great, it's a great partnership. They don't just occupy chairs. I see it all over this community for a very, very long time. They're, if they're in, they're all in. And they bring all of the support and resources and volunteerism of their entire team. It just blows me away. Um, I'm part of their ECOS team, which is a green team. And they have like 50, 60 active members that are doing amazing things. And again, it's a volunteer position. So on the thread of TEP, you and I know they fund so many great projects around the city. And I crack up sometime and say, where would we be without TEP? Where would we be about TMC? They, they really step up and support the community. So I know that their support of Saguaro National Park has been pretty amazing. You mentioned board membership. But they've also funded some really cool stuff there. And I know that one of them was the educational patio. And I want to know what that is and why is it of value to your mission? Yeah, so so when the when the park was looking to to provide the you know the the first class visitor experience that I was talking about before, one of the things that they don't have at the visitor center on the east side of the park is they don't have any outdoor space and it's actually called the the Rincon Mountain District, but you can't actually see the Rincon Mountains from the visitor center. <laughs> That's not so, good. So this yeah. So, so the, the plan was to build a, you know, 2,500 square foot outdoor patio um, where people could come and, you know, learn about the park, uh, learn about uh, in- interpretive programs that happen and be able to kind of sit there and enjoy the Rincon Mountains. So we were doing a lot of fundraising and had a lot of support from different organizations, but TEP was the one that got us over the line and provided the support that we needed to complete that really important project. And it's fully accessible um, there's daily programs that happen in it. It's a it's a meeting place for everyone that that goes to the park, um, and you know you got over a million visitors a year spend time in that in that space in the park, and we just really wouldn't have been able to to complete that without the support from from TEP. Um, so it was really uh, an instrumental, and it's a really exciting new thing that's that's at the park that that visitors go and see um, every time that they're there. 
And the other, the other part that actually goes along with that, that TEP is helping to support is we're creating uh, pollinator gardens um, yes, around, around the it. visitors. Yeah, so, so this is a really cool thing because you get, just like you were saying before, you know, there's so many plants that grow everywhere in the park and not everybody can hike you know, to the high elevations or different right. places to see all of it. So these pollinator gardens, we're actually have had our next gen, our, our interns have been collecting seeds from plants in the park growing a lot of these plants in local greenhouses that are all going to be planted in these pollinator gardens right around the visitor center. So all visitors that come can see, you know, saguaros bloom. They can see all the different types of cactuses and the plants and all those things that are in the park are going to be growing natively in these pollinator gardens. And it's all fed through rainwater that comes off the roof. Um, it's going to be water that's directed from the parking lots. Um, so it's a really exciting thing where TEP is actually helping to helping to educate people about, you know, how they can have gardens that you don't have to water, that can just operate, you know, within the, the rainfall that happens. But it's also really extending the park's boundary, how people can learn about creating pollinator gardens in, in their neighborhoods. Um, and so I think that's something where, the park wouldn't have been able to do that without the support from TEP, and they're helping the park understand all the things that have to happen in order to create these really exciting pollinator gardens. And it's going to help with the redevelopment of the visitor center parking lot. It's going to help with the redevelopment of every trailhead. There's going to be pollinator garden and water harvesting techniques built in, and that is all from the support from TEP. And it's such a, an exciting and a transformational thing that's happening um, that wouldn't have been possible without TEP's kind of forward thinking and long-term vision as to how to help the park um, in a really uh, exciting and sustainable way. And especially with our board members, sustainability is so important with TEP and you know, all the investments that they're doing with green and renewable energy this is just kind of a different step. You know, how do you collect rainwater and make sure that it's, it's getting to the right spots and helping to preserve, you know, all, all the water that Tucson desperately needs, especially as you go through droughts. Um, so it's just, it's really exciting. And, and we, we've actually already started one of them right by the, the educational patio and the new ones are kind of in, in progress. Um, so we're very, very excited and, and so thankful for TEP support to, to help do that exciting project. And talk about fun. It's, you know, I have a story. We I've interviewed someone from, um, I think it was National Wildlife Federation, maybe. It was a long time ago, but I'll never forget the interview. And we were talking about the importance of pollinators and about habitat devastation. And that was three or four years ago. And just think about what it is like now. When I was preparing for the show and thinking about all the things that TEP has done, I mean, Fred, habitat devastation. The West is burning. <laughs> the, the East is flooded to a fairly well. But the one thing that people can do, like you, the listener that's hearing this, you can go out and buy a milkweed plant, whether you live in an apartment or you're renting or you own it. And we did it. We planted six milkweed plants that we got from Savano, a local nursery. And Fred, it's delightful. You should see the butterflies in our yard and the hummingbirds. I mean, it's like, and then of course there's bees, which I don't get as excited about, but they're such important pollinators. So to me, there's such depth and breadth to investing in 
pollinator gardens. I mean, it just it's it's about the most exciting thing and the most affordable thing that a homeowner or a renter can do is um, get on it. Just just go get a milkweed and let the magic begin. So it's another great thing and a tribute to them and they're caring really deeply about this community. I couldn't agree with you more. Now, this was something I have to ask you, and it might not be in your purview. I never play Stump the Guest, but I called Wendy Erica Worden one day. This was maybe, I think it was before COVID, and I said, where are you? And she said, (laughs) I'm out at Saguaro National Park pulling buffalo grass, and I could not make that up. I said, and you're answering your phone? So... Is the rain just going to be devastating for the growth of buffalo grass? I have no idea, and I know it's a big problem, and everybody's trying to address it and see what's happening. But for you, as in your role, what are you seeing with the buffalo grass situation? An invasive species for people that don't know. It's it's putting a lot of things at great risk here in the Southwest. Yeah. So so what, the interesting thing about about the invasive plants is when you go through a drought. You really can't do a lot to, to 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 stop their growth. They they do need to get a little bit of water and turn green, so you can actually start to remove them without them just falling apart. Right. So so one of the things that we've spent a ton of time on is we have a, a, a grant um, through the Department of Fire and Forestry Management where we've actually had a bunch of volunteers and our interns and park staff out removing invasive um, buffalo grass and fountain grass. Um, from lots of different areas within the the, the Tanker Verde uh, kind of canyon areas, right? And so we've re- removed a, a whole bunch of of, of that in, invasive species, and you know we work in partnership with with other organizations to try to help re- remove um, invasive species because the real the real issue with invasive species is that they can. They make the wildfires worse. I know so, they're such and, a fire threat. Yeah, and 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 they impact the native plants that grow here because, in some cases, the buffalo grass can withstand fire. Um, it can continue to grow and multiply really quickly, and a lot of times it squeezes out the growth of other plants, like like saguaros, for example. Right. You know, right. saguaros. You know, we see these great big saguaros, but it, it takes a long time for a saguaro to, to, to get that big. A very and, long and, time. And, yes. and the, 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 the buffalo grass, you know, kind of kind of squeezes them out um, because that grows so quickly and it takes over the resources and saguaros aren't, aren't able to grow. So the work that we do in removing invasive plants helps to kind of keep the desert, the, 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 the native landscape that it's, that it's supposed to be. And it helps to foster, you know, the growth of all those you know, important resources that are that, that we're here here to protect. And I think um, so, it helps get people attention when you say, like I've done shows with the Desert Museum also, and I had a show on beatback buffalo grass. It's people really love the saguaros. If you live here, you love them because they are unique. They are so beautiful, so majestic. And when you talk about them being threatened as a species, I think people I think people pay attention. So it's. I'm glad I brought it up and I love your answer. You're right, even in our backyard when it rains, we're out there picking weeds as fast as we can because it's no problem. The ground's wet and they come up and the roots all right. and all. So thank you f- for answering that. So yeah. it was great to connect with you and keep on doing all the good things that you and TEP do to make our world safer and healthier and more environmentally friendly. And I appreciate the time you spent with us. Keep on keeping on. 
Great. Thanks a lot, Gina. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you. Same here. Same here.